Hi, Misfits. This is Kevin. This is Kate. Welcome to Horrorwood. Woo woo. I have to add a little sound there, even I though know. I even though there's gonna be sound, it's right. like I can hear it in my head. Yeah, I feel like I have to fill the space. One thing that I do need to say, though, guess what? What we have a new Patronian to shout out. Patronian. What's their name? Her name is Kristen, and on her username, it doesn't list her last name, That's so okay. I'm not gonna say it. Yep. But you want to know something super exciting? Yes. She's our first international Patronian. <gasps> international Patronian. She's from Australia. Austra- I was just thinking about Australia. I think about Australia constantly. I think about it all the time. Kristen, I went to see a movie last night called Talk to Me, which is an Australian horror film. Oh, I didn't realize it was Australian. It's, oh, yeah, it's oh, Australian. fun. Um, and I loved it. And I'm a big fan of the Tony and Ryan podcast, which is an Australian podcast. Cool. Um, so I've, I want to come there and I want to visit one day. Have I you been? Too. No, I want to go so bad. Yeah. And this is really stereotypical, Kristen, and I'm sorry, but the spiders terrify me. I, I, I think just, you were the one that told me about that. Yeah. Kate, if you don't know about us spiders in Australia, you better I think get you told online. me about it. <laughs> do I really want to? Do that or not. Maybe it's best to go in without... Yeah, just like... But just bring a, a blowtorch with you when you visit and oh I my. think will be fine. Oh but I, I do want to visit. Australia. Yeah, even in spite of the spiders, I still want to visit. Wow. So Kristen, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Kristen. We super duper appreciate it. And since you're uh, one of our Misfit Murder Renos, now you're going to be getting a little present <gasps> yes. in a few weeks. So Ghost in a jar, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Kristen. Do we have any other biz nasty? I don't think so, Kate. All right. Let's just get right get into, into it. This. Yes, Ooh. I'm ready. Yeah, so about this story, I am covering the Amityville horror today. Can I tell you a secret? Yes. Okay, so for Exorcist, I watched it yes. right before the episode because I wanted it fresh in the brain, mm-hmm. and then I realized, like, oh, I've never seen this, so mm-hmm. good thing I'm watching it. Amityville, I I feel like I've seen the original, but it was years and years ago. Sure. I know I've seen the most recent one, but uh, I I haven't watched it in years, so it's not fresh on the brain. So I feel That's like I'm okay. coming into this new, new, and like with an open mind. It's not like Exorcist in the sense that Amityville is like a cursed movie and stuff happened on set and all of that. Uh-huh. I don't actually. Co- I'm not going to cover the movie very okay. much at all. Okay. So this will be. Well, I'll get into it in my intro. Okay. But yeah, I was going to actually start off by saying that I don't I didn't really cover the movie. I like there's a little trivia in there, but this is the real story. The real story that the, the movie is based one. on. Right. Correct. Excellent. I'm so excited. So, Kate, Kevin, a Dutch colonial house sits on the foundation at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, Long Island, New York. I'm already hooked. About 30 miles outside of New York City. Okay. It's a house with a gruesome past and a pension for collecting the souls of its inhabitants. 
can I just tell you that I kind of feel like we need a campfire right in the middle of this closet because yes. it feels very much like you're telling me a ghost story and I am here for it's, it. Are you afraid of the dark? At the end of this, I'm going to be like, and this is the tale of the Amityville horror. The house has a menacing face to it with light shining through two windows on the top floor. Evil eyes searching for another victim. Upon entering the house, we're greeted with the stench of murder and demonic activity. Sulfur lingering in the air. Okay, sulfur is the nastiest smell. So here's a little side note, not to enter because you have a really nice flow going and you have the best podcast voice. Um, But my grandparents growing up, so I lived with them every summer. Yes. And they had sulfur water. And What's so that? it's because they had like well water. Oh. And is that to clean it? They weren't on city water. I don't know. But it was nasty. Ugh. And so if you took a shower, oh, it was so nasty. Ew. So like to drink, we always had to buy spring water, That's distilled sure. water, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you could always smell it's such a distinct smell, but oddly. It's comforting to me because it reminds me of my childhood in my grandparents' house. And I loved it there. I had the best time. So that's disgusting, but also amazing. Right? I love that. (laughs) I thought you would. (laughs) You just walk past a porta potty and like smell the diarrhea and you're like, it's home. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm that made my day. Great. That's what I'm here for. I love it. So This personification of evil is known as the Amityville Horror House, and this is the story of Ronald DeFeo Jr., a mass familiar... Let me take that sentence again. He's not a vampire assistant? (laughs) What we do with the shadows. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, so this is the story of Ronald DeFeo Jr., a mass familial murderer, and the subsequent haunting at the famous Amityville home. Trigger warning. Children and death of children oh god okay so anybody i'm gonna cover the the murder pretty quickly so skip ahead a, a few a couple minutes if you're squeamish got it 112 ocean avenue is a large house on a quarter acre lot built in 1927 it's very pristine and homey just like many of the other houses in yeah. the neighborhood there's a swimming pool in the backyard hey. a boat dock a boat dock yeah Oh, oh, because we're in Long Island. We're in Long Island, exactly. And it's on like the south shore of the island. Out in the front stands a statue of St. Joseph, the patron saint of families and fathers, and he's holding the baby Jesus. I just want for all the listeners to know that Kevin is demonstrating holding a fake baby and... I remember there was an episode of Glee with when Gwyneth Paltrow was on and she was doing an impression of Mary Todd Lincoln, who I think went crazy later in life. And she was like pretending to hold a baby. And she's like, this can't be my baby because I don't love it. (laughs) And then pretended to toss it over her shoulder. Oh, that's awful. Why did I laugh at that? I watched that like 16 times. (laughs) So funny. So our story starts in 1974 with the DeFeo family. Okay. Who were reportedly very religious, hence the statue. Mm -hmm. Inside of the house, there were life-size portraits of the family that hung on the walls. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? That's creepy. Uh, So apparently uh, the wife, Louise DeFeo, her father was wealthy and would often help the family out and Uh gave them the money to have these portraits painted. 
Okay. Anywho. <laughs> on November 13th, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered his entire family while they slept in their beds. Oh, shit. They were identified as Ronald DeFeo Sr., 43, his wife Louise, 42, daughters Dawn, 18, and Allison, 13, and sons Mark, 12, and John Matthew, 7. Oh. All six of them had been shot at close range with a shotgun. The Suffolk County Police said that Mr. and Mrs. DeFeo both had been shot twice in the back. The two girls were shot once once each in the head, and the two boys were shot once each in the middle of the back. Were they... Was this while they were sleeping? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. There were no signs of a struggle. I mean, presumably someone would have woken up, though. See, that's part of the thing. Like, why didn't anybody wake up? Oh. That's, like, part of the mystery around that murder. Uh, there were uh, no signs of a struggle, and they were all laying face down on their stomachs with their hands above their head. Oh, I don't like... Th- yeah. So what, did he pose them after? I don't think so. Or he might have. It's not known. Oh, okay. It's all strange. A pathologist who worked on the case told the New York Times in an article about the murders, it is bizarre that they were all in the sa- same exact position. Yeah. It makes me wonder, did he order them to do that or did he pose them after the fact i would think he would pose them but there's a theory that i'll get to in oh, a okay. minute about that so just to go back a little bit more about the family themselves uh ronald defeo senior worked for the family business at the this name is hard to pronounce brigante carl buick dealership okay this was a business started by his grandfather michael brigante DeFeo Sr. and Jr. both worked here together. Mm. So it was very much like family business. All the men are going to go into doing this at the time. The day before the murders, DeFeo Sr. went to work that Tuesday morning on November 12th, 1974, along with Ronald Jr. Okay. There were no signs that anything was wrong between them. Yeah. According to their co-workers at the Buick dealership. When interviewed by police after the murders, Ronald Jr. said that he returned home late that very night and went straight to bed. The son. The son. Like, they left separately. Okay. And then after Ronald Jr. got off work, he just went home and went straight to bed at 7 o'clock. It's a little early, but okay. A little bit early for me. I usually go to bed at like 2 a.m. now. It's shifted again. I don't know what's happening to my body. Thank you, COVID. Oh, Wow. He then woke up at 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning. And so he slept for 12 hours? <laughs> okay. Did I say he got home at 7 p.m.? Yes. Okay, that's wrong. Oh, okay. I, I, read, I meant to say 7 a.m. the next day. Like he got up at 7 a.m. the next day. Oh, got it, got it. He got went it. home late. Oh, he worked okay. late and went home. Gotcha. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. It's okay. Listeners, pretend that last yeah. couple minutes never happened. It didn't happen. Don't worry about it. We're with you. Yeah. So he woke, he got home late from work and was tired, went to bed, got up at seven, and then just went straight back to work. Oh, okay. That's what he said. However, neighbors reported that they saw him in the vicinity in the afternoon that day on Wednesday. He also went to a local bar where the bartender said he saw him in the evening on Wednesday around five o'clock and had his favorite drink, which was a vodka with seven up and a lemon peel, which to me sounds refreshing. Yeah, it sounds nice and light. Hmm. 
He then said he went home at 6.38 p.m. and found the bodies of his family members. Mm. Okay. He got in the car, went back to Henry's bar, which was where he was after work having a drink, and ran in screaming that his mother and father had been shot. Just ran into the bar screaming. A few men from the bar then accompanied Ronald back to his house. Can I ask how far the bar was from his house? Oh, Kate, I don't know that. Okay. I think it's pretty close. Okay, because I'm just wondering why he didn't just call the police. Right, because so the the timing, well, so they called the police and emergency services once everybody got to the house, and they arrived by 7 o'clock. So that okay. makes me think that it's really close if he runs in at 638. Okay. And it's like, help me, help me, help me. And then people follow him. So probably like five or 10 minutes away. Police began to search for a murder weapon. And they found a 22 caliber rifle, a shotgun, and a pellet gun, which had been mounted on the wall. It appeared that they had not been used in quite a while. So Hmm. these weren't the murder weapons. But they found out that Mr. DeFeo Sr. had been an avid hunter, hence all the guns. Ah. So the murder weapon was found by police in the creek behind the family's home in Amityville. Mm-hmm. It was a thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle. I have no idea what that means. I don't either. I don't know or like guns. Samesies. So take with that what you will. But it sounds deadly. I think. I mean, <laughs> it took out six. Oof. The family was shot at a very close range. Mm-hmm. This was ascertained due to the gunpowder marks on their bodies because it was so close. Suffolk County Deputy Chief Medical Examiner Dr. Howard Edelman said that there was no possibility that a silencer could have been used on the gun. Oh, because that was my next question. It was, oh, well, maybe there was a silencer and that's why people didn't wake up. So why couldn't there have been a silencer on it? Uh, it was too big. to fit. There wouldn't be oh. anything that you could put over the rifle I because see. of what that gun was, I guess, which I yeah. just said I don't know. What I read was that there's nothing that could go over it that was silencer-esque okay. to make it. Like, I'm sure you could put a pillow over somebody and do it that way, but it's still going to make a big bang. Right. Because it's such a, I think it's a big gun. Maybe I'll, I can Google it. Yeah, see if there's an 35 image. 35 Marlin. Yeah, so this is a pretty big rifle. Oh, yes. Okay, so one of those. Yeah. You might think, as we were just talking about, that that gun would make loud gunshots and the, the, ma- the magnitude of sound would be heard throughout the neighborhood. Yeah. However, there were no reports of anybody hearing any noise that night other than uh, the family dog. Like five neighbors the police mm. interviewed said that they heard the family dog, a sheepdog named Shaggy. 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 Aww. Uh, barking late Tuesday night. Okay. But no one thought anything of it because the dog had a reputation for barking. Oh, shit, Shaggy. Barker. People be talking about you. (laughs) Your reputation precedes you, Shaggy. Shaggy. (laughs) Silence. Not you, Kate. The dog. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry, Kevin. I won't interrupt you anymore. Silence. No. Um, DeFeo Jr. did have some prior arrests on the books. Uh Uh-huh. Just to be clear. So... Obviously, he's starting off with, I didn't do this, like someone else did. Of course. You know, oh my God, my family's dead. He had been charged previously with grand larceny on December 14th of the previous year in 1973 and sentenced to a year's probation for petite, P-E-T-I-T, larceny. 
I think it went from grand to petite. Like okay. they dropped the charge a little. He concocted a fake robbery with a friend to steal almost twenty grand from oh, the family dealership shit. business. So he's stealing from his family. Yes, exactly. Or he I was see. trying to at least. I don't yeah. th- he didn't get away with it. A girlfriend of his reported so he, he got charged with that and then put on probation. Okay. And a girlfriend of his reported to his probation officer that he was using narcotics. Okay. Well, I'm glad that she spoke up. I'm I'm sure for I don't know what the reason was. I think she probably just got mad at him and was like, "Listen, possibly. I wonder if that was like a condition of his probation though." Sure. I think yeah, you probably can't do any kind of legal activity on illegal activity right. on probation. Pretty sure you're not supposed to do any <laughs> illegal activity anywhere. <laughs> Especially not on probation. Really? You look down and I have an ankle bracelet on. <laughs> Kevin, I think you're supposed Kevin, to be back at your house. Put your Xanax away. Uh-oh. You can't have those. Needle tracks were seen on Ronald's arm. Mm. So he was injecting something. Yes. On May 29th, 1974, a judge gave the right to check him for drugs. But those tests came back negative. Okay. The family was unwilling to admit that DeFeo Jr. had a drug problem and they were reportedly very protective of him and how people viewed him. I see. I think he had had drug... Well, I'll get into it. He did have some drug problems in the past. Okay. So he's he's been struggling with that for a little while. Mm-hmm. Everyone really liked the DeFeo family, but it seemed that Ronald Jr. was the odd duck out. Oh, was and, he the oldest? Yeah, he was okay. the oldest. and. Um, he was 20, 23 at the time. Okay. Uh, and the next sibling down would be Dawn, and she was 18. Mm. So several reports from neighbors describe him as an addict who drank and got into brawls at local bars with his friends. Mm. Uh, after the murders occurred, DeFeo was given another drug test, which found quinine uh, or quinine, I don't know which it is, in his system, which that's, is a drug okay. that's used as a base for heroin. Oh, shit. Okay. So not great. Uh, DeFeo initially claimed to police that the murders were a mob hit by Louis or Louis, probably Louis Fellini. He had claimed that Ronnie Sr. was a member of the mob. Spoiler, it was not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The mob guy he claimed did it was out of town, according to police. Mm. So... He was then interrogated by police for 20 hours. Oh, geez. Cracks formed in the story, and mm-hmm. he eventually ended up confessing to the murders during this interrogation. I love when they do that, when they just keep on talking right. to him. But the same, the, so that brings up a red flag to me, actually, because there's a lot of people out there that I think we don't know about, and there's a great series on netflix Mm -hmm. that's about false confessions oh i see where you're going so when you interrogate somebody for that long without a break and you don't give them water you don't give them oh there was no break or anything i don't know i don't know exactly but i'm just saying in general yeah when an interrogation goes this long you end up confessing to something you haven't done just to get out of fucking with you so much yeah so that just brought up a red flag to me. I'm not saying that's what happened. Sure. I just, long interrogations without any breaks, like shit can happen. There's a lot of people in jail for shit that they didn't yeah. do that the cops made them think they did. Yeah, that's a good point. And I hate that. Go watch that series. It's insane. I have to it's look it insane. Up. And they're still in prison. Like what? very rarely after you confess to something, mm. do you get released because you said you did it. Oh, jeez. And then, I mean, it's too late to take it back. You've already had a trial. A motive for the murders wasn't clear at first. 
But it was reported that the family had about $200,000 in life insurance policies at the time. Okay. Which would later be stated uh, as the motive in DeFeo Jr.'s trial. He wanted the life insurance money? Life insurance money. So one thing that comes up in a podcast I listen to a lot is they talk about life insurance policies. Mm -hmm. And it's like, do people really think that they're going to kill their whole family and suddenly... Boom, here's $200,000. Like, it it's, doesn't work like that. No, <laughs> I don't get that. So I just looked it up. $200,000 in 1974 is equivalent in purchasing power to about $1,237,764.71 today. I mean, that's a big chunk of money. That's big money. Big money, big, big money. Big money, big <laughs> money. What's, what's that's Is that Wheel of Fortune or... Uh, is it? Price is right. Mm-hmm. Or isn't it neither? I was going to say, I don't know that it's either of those, but <laughs> someone out there knows. You know who would know that? Who? Matt, because he oh. sure does love his game shows. Matt, can you tell us? Yeah, Matt, whenever you get home and happen to hear us through the closet wall, let us know. <laughs> I'm just going to bang on the wall. Matt, tell us. So Ronald DeFeo confessed his crimes to the police and said that he had given heavy doses of barbiturates to his mm. family in their dinner on Tuesday night. The police Ugh. said it had to be administered in food because there were no puncture marks on the family where drugs could have been injected. Okay. The murders probably occurred in the early morning hours of Wednesday, November 13th. The exact time isn't exactly known. Okay. It's also not known if the family was actually drugged because oh. there was such a large gap in time before the family ate dinner and the time that they were murdered. I see. And it was I couldn't find any information on if they did any drug uh, testing. Yeah, like the toxicology reports. Okay. There wasn't anything stated in that that I found helpful. Shoot. I don't know if you chalk that up to 70s policing or mm. Or what, but yeah, I, but there's an article in the New York Times that I read when this story was unraveling that the title of it was like, you know, murderer said he drugged family uh, beforehand. So I, I think see. that's the most likely thing. I feel like it would have to be for no one to wake up. Right. And I mean, there's food in their system. So I'm wondering, you know, and this is all conjecture, but, you know, the digestion of dinner mm-hmm. had to be in a place where maybe it showed that they were awake because I know your digestion changes when yeah. you get to sleep. But that's one of one point of kind of contention in the story is like, you know, why were they all asleep? Why did nobody hear anything? Right. To me, that makes the most sense is that he drugged yeah. them. Others chalk it up to demons. Demons. Which we'll get to. Okay. DeFeo said of the murders, once I started, I just couldn't stop. Oh. It went so fast. But why kill the entire family when the main grievance was with his father? Did he fight with his father? Like, what was their issue? Because the co-workers were saying that things seemed fine with them, right? They had a terrible relationship with his father. Ronald Sr. was apparently very mean and angry and spiteful Mm. and really like bad to be around. And so it's reported that he kind of took all of that 
anger out on his son. Mm. Um, and also I think the father might have been or was allegedly resentful of Louise, not Louise, but the situation they were in because they were a middle class family. Uh-huh. But Louise's father, as I said before, was rich. Really wealthy. And was constantly like helping them out. I and see. I and so Ronald was felt like... like he wasn't a good enough provider to the family. Gotcha. Um, and so their relationship was very strained and he would, he would get violent with him sometimes. Okay. I, so it hence, sounded like abuse. It was... did. Yeah. They did not have a good relationship with each other. Got it. I'm not sure about the rest of the family. It sounds mm-hmm. like it was fine, but I think that relationship with that parent kind of sent a rift throughout the entire if you're all in the same household you're all you gonna know be what's happening exactly but i think it probably also helps that the, all the other kids are a little bit younger with him being the oldest because i think he probably bore the brunt of that at a younger age that's the thing he i'm sure there was resentment yeah. on his part that he was the one getting all of that and not his siblings exactly yeah I could see that. I want to be like, you know, that really, that's an awful situation for someone to be in. Of course. You know, and it sucks that things like this can be additional reasons for people to kind of lose their shit and kill people. But, you know, there are a lot of other people out there that have the same issues that don't kill people. Exactly. As they say, feel bad for the child, not the adult. Yeah. Hey, that's great. I want that on a t-shirt. Yeah. I mean, it's not our quote. My inner child. Poor Kevin. Oh, shit. I'm working through that in therapy. Okay, good. Because look at you now. <laughs> look at me now, world. Dun, Jazz dun, hands. Dun. I start singing. What's that song that Fanny Bryce? Don't, don't tell, tell me th- not to live. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to get sued. Ball of butter. Okay, now I have to find my place again, Kate. <laughs> right. So the grievance with his, was with his dad. Like, why kill the whole family? Right. If it's your dad that you're mad at. It reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you listened to it. It's on our uh, it's on our Patreon. It's the Trey Sessler episode. Yes. It was a similar situation of once he started, he felt like he had to go through. Had to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And That's he so insane. killed his entire family. Oh. Awful. I also looked at, interesting tidbit fact, if you kill a bunch of people all at the same time, it's a mass murder. If you do it in separate instances. It's a serial. In different locations, it's a serial killer. That makes sense. Yeah. I found that interesting. I didn't know that. So now we're going to go on to the trial of DeFeo Jr. The trial lasted for seven weeks, which was the longest trial in the history of Suffolk County at the time. Oh, wow. DeFeo's defense lawyer, William Weber, tried to prove that DeFeo was insane at the time he slaughtered his entire family. Mm. I mean, of course they're going to go for that. What else do they have? What else can they go on? Exactly. DeFeo claimed that he was hearing demonic voices in his head that told him to kill his entire family. Sure. He testified on his own behalf during the trial and admitted to the murders on the stand, saying, quote, I couldn't care less what happens to me or the rest of my life. Oh. On November 21st, 1975, DeFeo was found guilty on six counts of second degree murder in the shooting deaths of his family. And then he was sentenced to six consecutive sentences of 25 years to life in prison. Okay. He went up for parole in 99, never was let out, never got it. I would hope not. I would hope not either. Bye. Ronald DeFeo Jr. has changed his story throughout the years and since his conviction. Really? Yep. He accused his mother and sister Dawn of carrying out some of the shootings. What? Right. Oh, that makes me mad. I know. 
DeFeo died in prison in 2021. Oh, okay. At Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York. I think the one of the most recent quotes he said, I guess the Amityville horror really is supposed to be me because I'm the one that got convicted of killing my family. I'm the one they say who did it. I'm the one that's supposed to be possessed by the devil. Do you have uh, what his sto- different stories were? No, not much. So that's the thing. His defense lawyer, which we'll get into in a little bit more, said that he gave him like 15 different. He just kept changing it. I think what he was doing was trying to make up different stories to get out of prison. Anything he could do to get out. Mm. Yeah, he he claimed that Don did it. He claimed, you know, that uh, that there were there was another shooter in there with him. He claimed that there and I'll I'll get to that in a little bit. I've got a couple more of those kind of trickled after we talk about the Lutz family. Okay. <laughs> Maniacal laughter. <laughs> I'm sorry I did that, Kate. I annoyed myself. I wasn't annoyed. Oh, good. <laughs> I was I, thoroughly entertained. I just laugh like that in my room by myself sometimes. <laughs> that I believe. You and Schmal. And the cats. <laughs> we light candles and stare out the window. <laughs> Judging everyone. Judging everyone. That's my whole fall. <laughs> Live, laugh, love. And judge. Oh, and judge. Oh, Kate. Kate, you have the quips today. I don't, though. I'm so tired. I no, you're good. I think that's the key. Hours. Maybe it is. I was... So what happens next is bizarre and the beginning of a fascinating horror phenomenon that would go on to become the Amityville Horror. You with the voices. That was really good. That Thank was creepy. You. I loved it. So... The Lutz family purchased the house at 112 Ocean Avenue over a year after the murders Okay. for $80,000. All right. They were a middle-class family of five. George and Kathy Lutz and their children, Daniel, nine, Christopher, seven, and Missy, five. Okay. Missy, George, I like that name. I love that name. Missy. Have you ever seen that movie, The Wrong Missy? No. It's pretty fun. I'll look it up. Okay. George was a stepfather to the children, as they were from Kathy's previous marriage. Okay. The realtor did tell them about the DeFeo murders. Oh, wow. And the Lutz family didn't bat an eye. They were like, cool. The price was right, and they wanted the house. Shit, all right. Yeah, and it's also reported that the DeFeo's furniture was still in the house. Oh, I don't And so when they moved in, they were using their old furniture. Oh, I don't like that at all. They moved into the house on December 18th, 1975. They lasted 28 days. <gasps> oh. Whoa. That's not a long time. Nope. And I will tell you why. The family was religious, the okay. Lutz family, and they had a priest, Father Mancuso. In As he's talked about in the book about this, mm-hmm. the real guy's name was later identified as Father... Picararo. Okay. So they had a father come to the house to bless it before they moved in. And while the priest was there, he had some uneasy feelings. He didn't feel right being in the house for some reason. Mm. You know, and throughout the day before, or the day that, the time prior that he was going to go to the house, he even felt uneasy and was trying to put it off. Because of the murder of it all. Probably. And he was like, I don't really want to go over there. And he finally did. And he's like, oh, shit. He knew about the murders, he, I would Obviously, assume. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Because he, I mean, the whole, 
town. a town in New yeah. York. I mean, nationally knew what had happened there. Yeah. It was a big story. He had uneasy easy feelings and a demonic voice uttered behind him, get out. Oh. Like screamed at him to get out. I hate of the that. House. I'd be like, okay. His Sorry. encounter with whatever was in that house would affect him for the next few weeks. Oh, jeez. He would get bouts of flu and become extremely sick, and this kicked off the horrors that befell the Lutz family in the month they spent in the house. Oh. This poor priest who's just like, I'm just here to sage some shit. I know, right? So I'm basing all of this off the famous book Okay. Uh, that came out, and it's called The Amityville Horror. Um, Absolutely titled. Exactly. That's where all of this came from. Also, I don't know if priests sage things. I feel like that's probably two different belief systems. (laughs) I think it probably is. (laughs) So the author of the book is Jay Anson. Okay. And he worked with the Lutz family directly to write this book. Oh, cool. Also, I'm terrified now. Spooky. The family experienced a collective shift in personality. George, in particular, became cold, distant, and just, like, perpetually grumpy. He also couldn't get warm. He consistently loaded up the fireplace with wood and spent a great deal of time hunkered down by the fire. Jeez. The cold seemingly permeated his bones and soul. Well, it is is December slash January in New York. So it's going to be freezing anyway. And if there's it not if there's not central heating, well, there's not central heating, but he lit fires constantly, and it was warm in there. Oh, okay, he was he would even sit in front of the fire and just would not get any warmer. Whereas his, the rest of the family's like like sweating, You're killing us. <laughs> I imagine in their New York accents. Sorry, New Yorkers, we don't do accents very well here. <laughs> Hello, no, I'm <laughs> I'm not. I yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was, Kate. Uh, No one else does either. No one else does either, and that's the beauty of it. (laughs) He also kept waking up at 3.15 every morning. Oh. Which is around the time that Ronald DeFeo Jr. is said to have committed those murders. Like, the whole time he was living there, he kept waking up right at 3.15 Yeah, I I do have a little chill right now. Excellent. Kathy also experienced depressive feelings. Mm. There were instances where both she and George would take out their frustrations on their kids. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. And as ghostly encounters started to happen in the house, I feel like the children started to bore the brunt of the blame. Mm. Oh, I wrote this. The children bore the brunt of the blame to begin with. Big alliteration. (laughs) Right? Lots of bees. (laughs) Uh, and they were experiencing physical punishments from their family. Oh, and it was that's because shitty. like they would blame the kids on like little things that would happen, like you know something being moved or like right. loud noises or weird stuff. So I feel bad for the kids. That's shitty. And also, it's like there was abuse happening to that or in that original family, and now yeah. it's just it's kind of repeating. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like abuse was happening prior to. Yeah, I don't like. This. I want to, you know. Yeah, I mean, this is what's in the book, right? This is what's talked about in the book by Jay Anson. And, mm-hmm. you know, I I don't know that everything in that book is exactly fact. I'm okay. just going to go ahead and say that now. Okay. And we'll get into it a little bit more. So okay. I want to say uh, abuse, allegedly. Got it. And I'm there. They didn't call it abuse. I called it abuse. Okay. Because of they said they would smack him in the face or, you know, stuff like that. To me, that's abuse. That's abuse. And I mean, this was the 70s, different, it was different times, sure. different definitions of, of how we treat children. Each member of the family had their own experiences and the horrific occurrences started slowly. 
okay. to begin with. George kept seeing a shadow figure out by the boathouse. Mm. Kathy felt and sensed a presence that was wearing like a sweet perfume. Oh. And this entity would touch and caress her. She talks about like oh. someone putting their hand on the, her wrist when she was like sitting in the kitchen. Oh, that almost feels like they're trying to like... To, to comfort her. Or vice versa. They need comfort. They need comfort. Oh, maybe, Kate. That's a great... Yeah, I don't know. She felt that it might be the ghost of Louise DeFeo. Yeah, it she, sounds like, like she it. Thought, she felt that it was a woman, like uh-huh. a, a female presence. The toilets in the house kept appearing like coated in like a black substance that smelled like human excrement. It was like Ew. really bad. And it would just show up. Ew. And she would have to clean it. So the ghosts are just shitting? Ghosts are and shitting. And just leaving it there? Yeah. Come on. Come on, ghosties. Kathy would have to be consistently scrubbing the bowls. Oh and my God. she told George and he was like, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what to do about it. Uh, you clean it, George. Clean it. The youngest daughter, Missy, said that she befriended an invisible boy with a pig face named Jody. Wait, were any of the kids in the DeFeo family Jody? I don't no. remember. Oh, no. okay. So uh, this is just... Daniel, Christopher, and uh, Missy. No, in the DeFeo family. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. No one was named Jody. So this is just a kid with a pig face named Jody? Yeah. Okay. No one else could see them. Okay. Only the young five-year-old Missy would see Jody. George would recount later being outside, looking up at the windows of the house, only to see Missy staring out of one of the windows, and behind her... Directly, a pig's face with glowing red eyes. What? Ew. Glowing red eyes. Glowing red eyes. Don't like that. So George would see this? Yeah, he saw it from downstairs. Oh, shit. I listened to the audiobook. The book is good. Yeah. It's a good story. It's fucking terrifying. Sounds it. I listened to the, the audiobook, and the guy who narrates it, I don't have his name in front of me, he does an amazing job. He it he scared the daylights out of me. I was listening to it at night, Ooh. and Spencer was at work. Yeah, and I had to turn on the lights and turn the TV on in the background just to like really. Yeah, I was like, I'm getting spooked. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Also, the family reported that green slime would ooze out of the walls. Where did that come from? I don't know. They were just. It just started happening. What? Okay. Doors slammed. Mm-hmm. Beds moved swarms of flies would be found everywhere okay it was even in the extreme cold live flies or dead flies live swarms of buzzing flies which you know if you think back to exorcist that's like demonic presence yeah flies kathy began to have nightmares that were seemingly connected to what happened to the defeo murders both kathy and the children were seen levitating by george while they slept do we trust George? I feel like levitation. I don't know how I feel about it. Watch this, Kate. And then I just oh, rise. Oh, shit, everybody. <laughs> Kevin, come down. I'm going too high. I can't stop it. <laughs> Help me. Kevin. <laughs> I just feel like I'm going to play devil's advocate here. The family contributed to this book. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they got some sort of compensation for it. I would. I would think. They did. I'm going to go into this. Yeah. So I'm going to go through. I'm just going through the story of the them being in the house. Uh-huh. And then I'm going to go through why it may or may not be true. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
Because right now I'm not really believing George. I mean, it gets pretty wild, right? Okay. The Lutz family began to think that they were being haunted by the ghosts of the DeFeo family. They were like, yeah, this place is definitely fucking haunted. I mean, that's what I would think. Anyone else who entered the house also became extremely uneasy. People didn't like going over there. Yeah. It was an air of fear, and the family actually did have, I think, some psychic mediums come. And even they were like, get me the fuck out of here. Like, I don't want to be here. They would be like, there's something here. I don't, it doesn't want me here. I have to go. Interesting. And they would leave. Kathy was also attacked one night by an entity that scratched up her torso. Oh. And this is bananas. Like, they were seeing stuff as well. Yeah. Like, one night, George woke to Kathy, and she looked at him, but she looked different. She looked withered and old and, like, 90 years old with deep, wrinkly lines on her oh. face. Again, this is George saying this. Right. Okay. But Kathy noticed this too because she ran to the bathroom and saw herself and screamed oh. in horror and collapsed on the floor. That's how I feel like I look no matter what when I wake up first thing. In I the wake up and look like I look that. in the I mirror and I every scream. Morning. Yeah, and I collapse to the floor. I'm like, fuck. If I haven't done my skincare routine. Okay, I haven't done my routine. I've been so out of sorts the last couple mm-hmm. weeks. My face is a fucking mess. It looks okay from here, Kate. It's. You know, it's funny because you almost said it looks great and then you changed and you went, it I'm looks sorry, great. I didn't mean to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how I know. It looks like shit. I don't, I mean, I can't, I mean, there doesn't seem to be, I'm not, I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just feel but out I get of that. sorts. Like, if you don't, if you lose track of it, it shows. Oh yeah. It really My starts to show. My skin is just like gross. Also wear your sunscreen, everybody. Anyway. I wish I would have known that from a younger age. I think I would have better skin. I would definitely have better skin. Anyway, skincare products. <gasps> Can I interject a skincare recommendation here? I think you're about to. So there's a brand that I really like called Bliss. And I think you can get it at Ulta. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. But you can also buy it on Amazon, which is where I've been Okay. It. And I got it because there's a, a TikTok influencer named Michaela. I'm not going to butcher her last name. Okay. I love her. I love her videos. And she used this sunscreen, like a mineral sunscreen. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, if she's using it. So I was like, I'm going to try this out. And it's the best mineral sunscreen I've really? ever used. Really? It's Bliss Mineral Sunscreen and it's skin tinted. It works for me like yeah. really well. I love it. And I also bought their Rose Face Wash. See, Rose is a scent I cannot get into. I love it so much. It reminds me of my grandma's bathroom. Sulfur reminds me of my grandma's bathroom. (laughs) So we have different scents. I'll see if I can find a sulfur face wash for you, you, It's not as fucking expensive as like some stuff you'd get at Sephora, which I'm not saying anything against Sephora. Because we love Sephora. We love Sephora. Love So the family also found an extra red room in the basement, like a little room underneath the stairs that was red. And when George went in there, he said he saw the face of what looked like Ronald DeFeo Jr. How did he know what Ronald DeFeo Jr. looked like? I mean, they would have known because this was in the papers and all of of that. I'm sure they had to know about it. Also, I do not like red rooms i'm not against it feels like a murder room it does things got too intense and crazy things were happening constantly Mm. like things moving levitation red rooms this is wild ooze Ugh! i forgot about the slime pig face jody they left on january 14th 1976 
they needed a break from the house. It got too much. Yeah. I think it's reported that they just like they ran out of the middle of the night and never came back. But later, George emphasized that he was like, we left not knowing that we would never come back. Oh, okay. Because he was like, they left to stay with Kathy's Kathy's mother for a little bit to get away from the stressors of the hauntings that's plaguing their family. And it just, they never ended up returning. It was kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, we'll go back. But then they're like, no, we don't want to go back. I think it took a little while for them to actually decide that they just didn't want to go back to the house. Yeah. So they sold the house for $55,000. Oh, shit. They took a loss. Yeah. Yikes. And moved to California. They got the farthest they, away right. they could. <laughs> Completely they said, across the country. They said, fuck this. They said, get those demons out of my face. They said, peace. The whole incident is famously reported in author Jay Anson's book, The Amityville Horror. And in 1979, a movie of the same name came out Mm -hmm. starring James Brolin and Margot Kidder. All right. The movie and story were a huge success. Mm -hmm. The book is said to have sold over 10 million copies and the book grossed over $86 million worldwide. Wow. We have sort of an exorcist situation with the popularity of the book spawning a culturally relevant film two years later. Like mm-hmm. exactly two years later. Yeah. The Amityville movie canon is large. It's become a name that you can basically just sort of slap on any horror movie about a haunted something or other. Okay. Here are all the titles I could find online. Oh, shit. We're going to go through all of them. Okay. You can cut it out, but... So Amityville Horror. Uh-huh. Amityville 2, The Possession. Oh. Amityville 3D. Also released in some places as Amityville 3, The Demon. <laughs> Amityville 4, The Evil Escapes, The Amityville Curse. Listeners, I am going to cut this out because it is a long-ass list. Amityville Island and the latest one in 2021, Amityville Vampire. Oh. See what I mean? I see exactly what you mean. (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to go through those. The titles are just too good. I love them. I think I like Witches of Amityville Academy. That's a good one. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch that. Mental note. Amityville Fall Harvest Time. I watched one in 19... That was 1994. Where is that? I think it was Amityville, A New Generation. I also think maybe this list isn't complete. Wow. So there's more? Could be. Okay. So the whole haunting story of the Amityville Horror House is now largely considered to be a hoax today. Fuck. See, I... It's because George, he wanted that money. Yes. So, yeah, we'll get into that. Kathy died in 2004 of emphysema and George of heart disease in 2006. The couple divorced in 1988. Okay. Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s lawyer, who we talked about earlier, William Weber, stated that he met with the Lutzes because they wanted to explore the demonic element of their story by connecting it to the DeFeo plea that Ronnie Jr. was hearing those demonic voices Mm. that told him to kill. They were like, tell us all about that. They were like, tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that we can use that and somehow make money off of it. Right. Exactly. So they were on like a capital sort of venture for their story. Wow. In a 1992 New York Times article, DeFeo Jr. insists that Weber, the lawyer, forced him to say that those voices told him to murder his whole family. Oh. 
quote, he told me that I had to do this. He told me there would be a lot of money from book rights and a movie. He would have me out in a couple of years and I would come into all that money. The whole thing was a con, except for the crime. See, I do believe that that happened. I do believe his lawyer pushed that on him. I'm sure he probably did, because this lawyer doesn't sound the best. Uh, Weber went on to say that the story was concocted by the Lutzes. They allegedly took real-life events and just embellished on that, like embellished that's, the hell out of That's really them. fucked. They made it all up over several bottles of wine one night, is what, Stop. what Weber said. He confirmed that the story was a hoax, and the Lutzes wanted to work with Weber on a book project, but Weber wanted, if Weber was to do that, he wanted to kind of do the right thing as much as if a right thing as you can do to talk about this and share any proceeds with the remainder of the DeFeo family. I see. And the Lutzes were like, absolutely fucking not. Weber went on to start working on his own book, but I couldn't find anything about it. It did, I don't think it ever came to fruition. Okay. Weber went on to like work with a writer on this, mm-hmm. and the Lutz family ended up suing the writer that Weber enlisted to help with his book for Invasion of Privacy. But then Weber got mad at the Lutz family and decided to sue them and Jay Anson for $60 million. Jeez. But ended up settling out of court for $2,500. Oh. <laughs> they really took a loss there. Right. He said that he received a total of $15,000 for services rendered in connection with the book and the movie. Because he's so connected to DeFeo. Right. He went on to reveal... After this, that DeFeo gave him upwards of 15 different versions of the family's slaying. The only way to go is the insanity plea based on the demonic voices. Like, Weber apparently just couldn't see through any other way to... The demonic thing was the only thing that might have had one shot at working. Because everything else he came up with was just implausible or ridiculous. There are rumors and conspiracies that there was more than one shooter on the night of the DeFeo murders. I don't think there was. I don't either. But I'm just going to go into it real quick. Yeah. Documentarian Ryan Katzenbach proposed the idea after happening upon new evidence. So Ryan Katzenbach has made a, a lot of documentaries about the Amityville, like the whole story. Okay. And I think he's done three of them. Okay. I haven't seen them, so I can't judge like how you know they are, but sure. I'd be interested to watch them. Yeah. And he like went to the property and like searched it again and went into the creek to try to find any evidence that might still be there even though it's like a long time later and he did end up finding a gun in the in the creek behind the house what what kind of gun uh it was just like a handgun oh okay but here's the thing this is why it's kind of interesting because defeo had used a pillowcase after the murders to put everything in that he had used to murder his family and throw it down a storm drain, uh-huh. which is why they found the rifle in the okay. creek out back. And they found a few other things in there, apparently. I didn't know that until I happened upon yeah. this article. It was from a reputable source. I can't remember which one it is. I'll look at my notes. But it was either like CBS or ABC sure. like a while ago. And in that pillowcase where DeFeo put all of his like murder stuff, there was an empty holster in a 
addition to the rifle. So there's like an empty gun holster, but they never found the gun. I see. So they're positing that it's, that, this. That it's this gun. Okay. Katzenbach believes that the gun they found is a second murder weapon. So I'm going to say this because I don't want to, like, I know this guy's still making movies. Katzenbach allegedly believes the okay. gun they found in is the second murder weapon, which leads to the idea that there was a second shooter present. One of DeFeo's stories was mm-hmm. that someone else, you know, committed the shooting sure. too. And I think it could potentially or allegedly account for all of that happening without anybody waking up or doing anything about it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think that's part of maybe where it comes from. Like they were doing it at the like same they time. they were doing it at the same time. Yeah. And that's why no one woke up. In addition to the theory, because it's not proven, of the barbiturates that were fed right. to the family and their food. I looked up that third documentary that he was going to make, and I didn't, I read the synopsis, and I didn't see anything about the gun, so I'm, I'm maybe he took a different direction. Okay. Check out those documentaries if you're interested. What were they called again? Uh, I don't know the name. I can look them up, but it's by Ryan Katzenbach. Okay. Several, and I mean a shitload of sources, okay. <laughs> have stated that the story was a hoax. <laughs> and yeah. And that the Lutz family was trying to capitalize on the murders That's that took place so in the house. so shitty. However, Daniel Lutz, one of the sons, yeah. still maintains to this day that everything is true. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Now, how old was he when it happened? He was nine. Okay. He was the oldest? He was the oldest. Of those three kids? Yeah. Daniel was nine. He was the oldest. And Christopher was seven. Interesting. So, yeah. He still maintains, you know, still, he was like, no, shit was happening in the house. I wonder, though, if, like, you know how when you're a child and as you get older, your memories shift and you remember things a little different because people told them told to them you to so you, many yeah. times i mean he was so young it's hard to even like say so here's what i was thinking as i was listening to the book uh-huh. and thinking about it this is a family that's you know undergoing a big change they're moving to a new house you know they've got this like newish stepfather it sounds to me like everybody was just uncomfortable and experiencing trauma in their own way as a family like adjusting to this house yeah and so I wonder if that mixed with kind of the lore around it I also wonder too they were so adamant to have the house and did not care care. about the murders it makes me wonder like if that was actually a selling point for them, if they it could have been. kind of premeditated I mean, all if of they, it. If they were like, we're going to get that house. Yeah. And we're going to really make some money make off some of money it. Off of this. I also was thinking like, this is going to sound stupid, but sometimes when you're in old houses and there's like a gas leak that maybe you don't know about, that could maybe potentially lead to seeing seeing hallucinations or hallucinating things. Does it? Because I don't know yes. the science of that. So yes, that does happen. And I feel like I remember going to Greece on an educational trip and we were at a city on the side of a mountain. I want to say it's Delphi. Okay. That sounds wrong. Okay. So don't remember. Shows how much I paid attention. <laughs> but I remember they were saying that prophets in that time would stand over places in the earth where those natural gases would be coming out. And so inhaling those would kind of open them up to oh. having sort of, you know, deeper thoughts and hallucinations. Okay. So that can happen. You can ha- you can hallucinate from gas leaks. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And I I just wonder if maybe there was something 
leaking a little bit that made them all a little crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. I, that was uh, that's just a thought that came into my head. That's not what happened, people. That's just a theory. But it seems like people love to wildly <laughs> speculate, theorize, and speculate. Yes. Over what happened here. So this is also strange, Kate. Daniel, when he's like, I believe this, this happened. He said that George, his stepfather, used to dabble in Satanism when he was a little bit younger. Like he would see him around the house reading these like dark tome books and being interested in Satanism. Again, take it with a grain of salt. I really don't know what's true and what's going on here. But the family only made about, it's reported that they only made about $300,000 from the book and the film. That's still a large chunk of money. Sure. I mean, if we're going back to what that 200 in life insurance was, it's at least, what, like one and a half million dollars in the 70s. They even admitted that some of the things in the book and the movie were a little bit embellished. Of course. um, Like the oozing green slime. Yeah, because where the fuck did slime come from? You say that and then like... Oh, or you get slimed like on Nickelodeon. And you I'm can't like, do that on television. <laughs> I loved that show when I was a kid. Yes. Five months after the Lutz family left the mm-hmm. house, famed, I love this, famed paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren yep. of the Conjuring universe. Yep. Wonderfully portrayed by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, they're such good actors. Investigated the house. Mm-hmm. According to their files, Ed was pushed to the ground by an unknown force in the house. And Lorraine Warren said that she felt an overwhelming feeling or horrible depression inside the house. Mm-hmm. Which is what the family was experiencing when they moved in. Everybody yeah. was having these weird, like, you know, yeah. changes in personality. She said that there was a deep sense of demonic activity and she was overcome with visions of the DeFeo's fam- the DeFeo family's bodies laying on the floor. But they weren't on the floor. They were in the beds. They were in the beds. I mean, but the beds wouldn't have been there at that time that the the Warrens were. Okay. The team did some specialized ghost photography and reportedly captured a photo of a demon child standing in the home's basement. I couldn't find that photo. Okay. And hasn't, I mean, hasn't Ed Warren and Lorraine been debunked like many times over? (sighs) So, allegedly. I think so. And Lorraine passed away recently. Mm. They've had a long and storied career and past. And I don't think I know enough to speculate. Okay. But I think, yes, I think there is some discussion around were they actually like these people or, you know, were they just conning people for money? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's, I mean, that goes with all psychics, mediums, Yeah, of course. Like, we never, I just, you know, we never really know. Yeah. My favorite psychic is Teresa Caputo, the Long Island medium. So, I used to watch her show all the time. Me too. And then... And then I just stopped. I don't remember why. Maybe I stopped getting that channel or something. I always just loved how she would walk up to people with her long nails. (laughs) And she would be like, who was the family member that passed from the chest? (laughs) And then they start crying and be like, my mom died of a heart attack. Yeah. Amazing. That was every every episode. I know. And I loved every second of it. The only photo I can find Mm -hmm. is from a paranormal investigation team. Of a little, this is a famous photo. Okay. Of a little boy standing at the top of the stairs. It's a very well known and creepy photo. Some think it's real, and others think it's a person from the investigation team crouched down. Interesting. Um, but others think that it's the ghost of a seven year old John Matthew DeFeo. Oh. And 
It looks like a kid to me. It does not look like a man crouching down. I'm going to show it to you, actually. Okay, yeah. I downloaded it. Also, I just wonder, like, why would it be just him? Like, why him of all the other kids? You know what I mean? I don't know. Hold on. I have to look closer. I hate it. <laughs> Sorry, I fucking hate that. That's a demon. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's... there's um. If you zoom in on it more, here, let me zoom in. I don't need to see the zoomed in version. I mean, it's like a, it's kind of a kid face. Like they've, they've lightened it a little bit in other photos. I'll, we'll post it on Instagram. It's got glowing Glowing eyes eyes. and I don't like it. One last haunting explanation. Mm. When Weber, the lawyer, was working on his book, he enlisted a professor of paranormal psychology, Hans Holzer. I like that name. Hans Holzer. Hans Holzer. Who was a ghost hunter and author on the occult. Holzer visited the house in 1977 with a medium. Okay. The medium went into a trance and said that an angry Indian chief of the Montauket tribe of Long Island possessed Ronald DeFeo Jr. What? The chief said to the medium... That he was angry about the house being built on the site of a sacred burial ground. Oh, shit. So the famous Amityville horror book, which I was listening to, Mm -hmm. also talks about a John Ketchum who was a witch. Okay, so here's the thing. The story is that John Ketchum was a witch that escaped from Salem during the trials and built his house on or near the Amityville house. Okay. This wasn't true. Okay. Okay. At all. It's been debunked. John Ketchum was a real person, yes. And he was from Ipswich, Massachusetts, and he moved to Long Island. Okay. But records of his home were more than 10 miles away from Amityville, and the Ah. genealogy is all there. Doesn't track. Doesn't track. And also, there's no historical record of any Indian burial ground or old cemetery being on that land. Oh, because I was about to throw down and be like, stop building shit. On stuff. Well, yeah, there's no actual, like, record of this stuff. I read an article that, like, old cemeteries back in the early 1900s in that area, it was common practice to move bodies. If you were going to build something, you would move them. Yeah, and bodies do not like to be moved, people. The remake of the Amityville Horror with Ryan Reynolds and Melissa George focuses on the Ketchum aspect. Okay. That he imprisoned and tortured Native Americans. I remember watching that movie and it's like Ketchum kill him is like the uh, the yeah. saying or whatever. It's scrawled on the walls. I mean, interesting that the the movie, you know, took that turn. Or else were they going to go? There were already 12 other <laughs> <Right>. movies. <laughs> like we got to come up with something. We had to figure out something. I lean toward it being a hoax, but, I, you know, who really, really knows for sure, for sure. The whole ordeal became one of the most famous intertwined murder and haunting stories ever told. Yeah. Basically. And the house in Amityville still stands. And the address has changed to 108 Ocean Avenue instead of 112. Oh, interesting. A report I read said that the famous evil eye windows had been removed and replaced with regular rectangular ones. So no one else who has lived in this house has reported any kind of paranormal activity. And that, Kate, is the story of the Amityville horror. It's kind of weird to think that this horrific crime... Mm-hmm. spawned a franchise right. and all these different theories and 
Yeah, that's kind of wild. I remember watching the movie with my friend Caitlin late night, and her mom was watching it with us, and we were so scared. It's a scary movie. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's mentioned in a lot of different lists and Mm -hmm. listicles. I haven't watched it in a while. I want to go back and do that. Great story. Is it true? I'm kind of 95, 97%. There's got to be some bad karma or bad feelings. Bad vibes. Energy, bad yeah. vibes there. Well, for of sure. Of course. You know, and I don't necessarily negate that they were feeling something in the air from being there. Oh, I'm sure you walked into that house and it was just heavy. And I'm sure that's why they kind of had personality. I mean, that could be a reason. Yeah. I think maybe some things probably might have happened or something akin to it, not as intense as they said. I right. think they did embellish. We'll all go watch one of the 37 movies made about it and come to our own conclusions. Or we can make our own Amityville movie. Might as well. Amityville. Everyone else has. The Chicago Slaughter. I'm terrified. Amityville. I fell in the river. Someone help, please. Amityville, Ghost Nation. Amityville, did someone take my book and put it in a place that I didn't leave it? One more. Amityville, ripped jeans. Amityville, (laughs) (laughs) Amityville, help me, I'm in a grave. Oh, shit. Amityville, zombie reduction. <laughs> like a boiled oh, stew. No. Jody, Amityville's darling. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Amityville, catfish. Or just Amityville, cats. <gasps> the cats of Amityville Manor. Written, directed, produced, and starring Kevin Corbett. Bye, guys. Love you. 